Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Forum Weekly. This episode will be covering the top posts and conversations happening on the Effective Altruism Forum between the 27th of February and the 5th of March 2023. As always, thank you to Zoe Williams of Rethink Priorities for writing these wonderful summaries. Thank you to Type 3 Audio for helping get these up on the RSS feed. Uh, and of course, thank you to Rethink Priorities for the general support. And thank you, the listener, for uh, supporting us. We absolutely love the feedback. Uh, and when we hear that folks have been sharing this around the community, uh, it makes us uh, really, really happy over here and even more motivated to keep doing this because we recognize the impact uh, is uh, is fairly significant and it is just so fun to do. Without any further sappiness from me, let's go ahead and jump in to the philosophy and methodology section for this week. So the first article is a cross post and it's called Let's Fund, Better Science Impact Evaluation, Registered Reports Now Available in Nature, cross posted by Hake Hilbrandt. Hake is the original author uh, and creator of something called Let's Fund, which is a blog site and organization that has a post on their better science impact evaluation process which they crowdfunded around $80,000 for Professor Chambers to promote registered reports, a new publication format where research is peer-reviewed before the results are known. And if it passes review, then it is committed to be published regardless of the results. This facilitates higher quality research through a few different mechanisms here that are behaviorally really, really interesting, right? Because it helps to correct different methodological weaknesses, catch early identification of dual-use research, it incentivizes for high-risk, high-reward research, which is going to, by nature, be unlikely to work, and oftentimes is kind of uh, angled against within existing publication processes and structures. Uh, And also, it also incentivizes more papers to be published that fail to confirm the original hypothesis. And this is critical, and apparently the need was well, well known, because already around 300 journals have already adopted registered reports, including Nature. Hake mentions that donations are welcome to the project, and you can find a link to donate and support their work in the link in the article. The moral psychologist in me is kind of nerd now about Hake's cross post there. But moving on to Worldview Investigations Team, an overview by Bob Fisher and Rethink Priorities. Rethink Priorities has tackled worldview questions since its launch. This includes research on invertebrate sentience, moral weights, and metrics for evaluating health interventions. In January of 2023, they formally launched the Worldview Investigation Team, or WIT, or WIT for short, with a mission to improve resource allocation within the effective altruism movement, focusing on tractable, high-impact questions that bear on philanthropic priorities. These include some questions like, how we can convert between welfare estimates, these are estimates like the disability-adjusted life years, to different metrics of existential risk mitigation and minimization work. Other questions include what are the implications of moral uncertainty for work on different cause areas, or what difference would various levels of risk and ambiguity aversion have on cause prioritization? Can those levels of risk and or ambiguity aversion be justified? They are currently hiring for three roles to build out the team. A philosophy researcher, a quantitative researcher, and a programmer are the three roles that they're looking for currently. The next post is by Vasco Grillo and is called Counterproductive Altruism, The Other Heavy Trail. This is a collection of excerpts and commentary on the counterproductive altruism, The Other Heavy Trail, or tale, excuse me, by Daniel Codetejo and Alexandra 
Alpria. That article argues that while EA depends significantly on the premise that benefits from interventions can be heavy-tailed on the right, i.e. the best give orders of magnitude more good than the average overall, it's often a neglected view that harms from counterproductive interventions can also be heavy-tailed to the left. Vasco provides several examples where this could apply. These are things like decreasing factory farming or global warming. It seems both wholly positive, but could increase the severity of a nuclear winter. The next article is called Predictive Performance on Metaculous versus Manifold Markets by Nikos. The author's TLDR, which has been lightly edited by the wonderful Zoe Williams, is, quote, I analyzed a set of 64 non-randomly selected binary forecasting questions that exist both on Metaculus and Manifold Markets. The mean Briar score was 0.084 for Metaculus and 0.107 for Manifold. Lower Briar scores here mean better accuracy. This difference was significant using a paired test. Metaculus was ahead of Manifold on 75% of the questions, 48 out of the 64. Metaculus, on average, had a much higher number of forecasters. End quote. Moving on to the object-level interventions and review section, we're kicking things off with AI. The first post is by Patrick L. It's called Scoring Forecasts from the 2016, quote, Expert Survey on Progression in AI. Here, the author is analyzing the predictions made by AI experts back in 2016 through the 2016 Expert Survey on Progress in AI. The median prediction was fairly good. Its prior score was around 0.21, and they were fairly unbiased, meaning that the score would be worse if they'd always predicted things to come 1.5 times either later or sooner than they actually did. The author suggests this is a slight update toward trusting expert timelines. The next article is by Matthew Barnett, and it's called Why I Think It's Important to Work on AI Forecasting. This is a transcript of the author's EAG Bay Area talk, and in it, they argue that if you don't know what the future will look like, it's hard to do viable in-hindsight interventions. Epoch is working on some key uncertainties pertinent to AI forecasting. And these broad areas are the relative importance of software and hardware progress, transfer learning. These are things where, to what extent will transfer learning, i.e. learning in one domain or research in one domain, help accelerate AI pertinent developments. And the last one is takeoff speeds. On the relevant importance of software and hardware progress, some sub-questions here are, does algorithmic progress come more from intentional and intelligent thought, or does it relatively come from random experimentation of trial and error? If it's the first, if it's the intentional thought, as AI gets more advanced and starts helping with its own development, it could accelerate very, very quickly. Whereas if it's relatively from random experimentation, hardware and labor could be the main gateway to scaling it and acceleration. For the transfer learning side of things, right? Alleviating data bottlenecks in the future could come through a few different areas of potential transferred learning. Other questions are, could reducing the gap between simulation and reality speed up robotics significantly, for example? Each of these will help identify where to focus policy and technical efforts and understand what players might be most relevant given differing response speeds and areas of influence. So the next article is by Holm Karnofsky, and it's called, What Does Bing Chat Tell Us About AI Risk? Bing Chat has displayed some scary behavior. These are things like threatening and gaslighting different users. However, the author suggests this seems to be closer to it acting out a story in its head than following specific goals. 
a result of a lack of training for politeness, for example, versus things like ChatGBT, which is, of course, our friendly neighborhood chatbot, and not remotely close to risking global catastrophe itself. More concerning is that it suggests companies are racing to build bigger and bigger digital brains while having little idea of what's actually going on inside them. And that could lead to catastrophe. The next article is Advice on Communicating in and Around the Biosecurity Policy Community by Elika. And this is included in our other existential risks subsection. The author's TLDR, once again, lightly summarized, is, quote, The field of biosecurity is more sensitive and nuanced than publicly available information suggests. What you say and how you present yourself impacts how much you're trusted, whether you're invited back to the conversation and thus your potential impact. They suggest being cautious, agreeable, and diplomatic, especially if you are non-technical, junior, or talking to a non-EA expert for the first time. And this is likely to result in better outcomes in terms of getting safer biosecurity policy. End TLDR quote. Some examples of employing this in the real world look like terms matter. Saying gain of function to a biologist may immediately make them defensive or discredit yourself. Biosecurity, biorisk, and biosecurity all indicate different approaches and aren't interchangeable, or might be read as what side of the debate you're on. Another point is be extremely sure what you're saying is true before disagreeing or bring your view to an expert. Read in detail, read widely, and from many different sources and viewpoints. Third is don't be black and white. These things exist with nuance. Ban all gain-of-function research is not a claim that is going to be easy to swing around and be invited back to the conversation. Care about implementation details and understanding which pieces are most risky or beneficial. The authors also suggest some biosecurity readings with really good nuance that capture these ideas quite nicely. On the global health and development side of things, we have the post Remote Health Centers in Uganda, a Cost-Effective Intervention by Nick Lang. The author's TLDR is the following. Operating basic health centers in remote rural Uganda communities looks more cost-effective than top GIFWELL interventions on early stage analysis, with huge uncertainty, end quote. The intervention, run by One Day Health, involves operating health centers in areas more than five kilometers from government health facilities in Uganda. They provide training and medications to nurses there to diagnose and treat 30 common medical conditions. Using the disability-adjusted life years averted per treatment of specific diseases from existing datasets, multiplied by average patients treated for those diseases each month, they estimate the equivalent of saving a life as around $850 USD, or $1,766, including patient expenses. However, They are not able to run an RCT or cohort study to investigate counterfactual impact due to cost. So they have very, very high uncertainty in this claim. On the opportunity side of things, we have a post by Lara TH called Call for Cruxes by Rhyme, a long-termist history consultancy. This here is a announcement for Rhyme, which is a new history consultancy for long-termists. Historical insights and the distillation of historical literature on particular questions can be beneficial for use as an intuition pump and for information about the historical context that your work exists within. The author in their TLDR writes, If you work on an AI governance project, research or policy, and are interested in augmenting it with a historical perspective, consider registering your interest and the cruxes of your research here. During this trial period of three to six months, the service is free. 
end quote. The next article is called Apply to Attend EA Conferences in Europe by Ali Base, EAG Cambridge 2023, and EAG Nordics. There are three upcoming European EAG events or EAGX events. Those are EAG Cambridge, which is the 17th to the 19th of March, EAG Nordics, which is the 21st to 23rd of April, and EAG Warsaw, the 9th through 11th of June. Other EAG global events, uh, these are the not the EAGX events, but the, just the EA global. Uh, it will be London, which will be the 19th through the 21st of May, which applications are currently open for and don't have any location requirements. However, it is important to note that EAG Cambridge is predominantly for people intending uh, to move to or already within the UK or Ireland, and EAG Nordics is predominantly for people in the Nordics, but welcomes international applications, and EAG Warsaw is predominantly for people in Eastern Europe, but also welcomes international applicants. The next article is called Help Give Directly Kill, Teach a Man to Fish by Give Directly. The most common critique of giving cash without conditions is fear of dependency. Often this fear and critique is pronounced by give a man to fish, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime. This is despite evidence giving cash can be more effective than teaching skills and can break down barriers like a lack of capital for equipment. They ask readers to submit their own ideas for new proverbs that capture the logic of giving directly. The competition ran till March 3rd and the votes as well as the overall winner of the competition will be announced on Twitter. On the community and media section, we have a post by Bella and 80,000 Hours called 80,000 Hours has been putting much more resources growing our audience. 80K has historically been the biggest single source of people learning about EA, and their internal calculations suggest their top of funnel efforts have been really cost effective at moving people into impactful careers. They've been investing significantly in marketing with the first dedicated outreach FTE in 2020 and three as of 2022. In 2022, they spent 2.65 million USD and had around 167,000 new subscribers versus 120K spent and 30K new subscribers in 2021. The strategies that they've had have fallen into five buckets. First, sponsored placements on YouTube podcasts and newsletters, which was the biggest source of growth. They also tried targeted social media advertising, which provided solid performance, book giveaways, Anyone who joins the newsletter can get a free book and podcast advertising, as well as improvements to their websites, call to action. They've also considered downside risks, things like ensuring a good proportion of subscribers continue to convert into high impact careers, frequency caps to ensure no one feels spammed and investigating ways to increase demographic diversity of outreach instead of entrenching homogeneity via targeting the same audiences that EA is already biased towards currently. The next article is called Why I Love Effective Altruism by Michelle Hutchinson. The author loves the EA community and is deeply grateful for having found it. They've note that while we're in tough times and some people have been feeling less proud to be an EA, they've pushed back against that inclination a little bit in this article. In their case, having this community around them allowed them to move from an ethics student who did bits and pieces of volunteering to someone who's fulfilled their giving what we can pledge for a decade and prioritizes impact in their career. They note the motivation they get from those around them both working to achieve high standards and being fully accepting and encouraging of others' choices, e.g. their own choice to be an omnivore or to work less hours. 
They also learn a lot from others in the community, and they found their pride in it particularly salient at EAG, where so many people they talk with are doing difficult or tiring or emotional things to help other in the spirit of effective altruism. The next post is by Jeff Kaufman, and it's called Milk EA, Casa Marzu EA. Some parts of EA are intuitively and obviously good, without need for much explanation. Things like giving money to the poor, making sure people are having effective malaria interventions. This contrasted with other parts requiring different levels of explanation. Some people talk as if which end of that continuum something is on depends on whether it's mainstream or long-termist or something of the like, but the author suggests that most cause areas have some at both ends. Some examples of this are creating plans for pandemics in an intuitive way versus building refugees for pandemics, which can be unintuitive. Helping chickens can be intuitive or determine moral differences between insects, unintuitive. Organizing pledge drives seems intuitive versus giving money to promising high schoolers, which seems unintuitive. Plan for economic effects of AI seems fairly intuitive, but mathematically formalizing agency seems a bit unintuitive. They suggest we unite by a common question. And that it's good that EA has room for both the weird and the mainstream and everything in between when it comes to maximizing our impact. Some of the articles that we didn't summarize are A Casual Normalcy by Andrew Critch and Why I'm Not Into the Free Energy Principle by Stephen Burns. Special mentions, these are posts that don't meet the karma threshold but seem important or undervalued, for which we have two this week. The first of which is Introducing the New Reasigos Castroficos Globales Team by Jamie Sevilla, Juan Garcia, Monica Oloa, Claudette Salinas, and Jorge Torres C. The author's TLDR is that we have, quote, hired a team to investigate potentially cost-effective initiatives in food security, pandemic detection, and AI regulation in Latin America and Spain. We have limited funding, which we will use to focus on food security during nuclear winter. You can contribute by donating, allowing us to expand our program to our other two priority areas. End quote. Yadav brings us our next special mention of the week, which is called, very briefly, the CHIPS Act. So if you don't know, about six months ago, the U.S. Congress passed the CHIPS Act, which commits $280 billion USD over the next 10 years into semiconductor production and R&D in the USA. So far, most of our chip production has come from different allies we have, predominantly Taiwan. The EU is now following suit. The European Chips Act is currently in draft and seeks to invest 43 billion euros in private and public funding to support semiconductor manufacturing and supply chain resilience. Well, I come in a little bit less than 20 minutes. Uh, that is this week's episode. Thank you all so much. And once again, thank you to Zoe Williams. Thank you to Type 3 Audio. And thank you to Rethink Priorities. And of course, thank you to you, the audience. As always, remember to stay engaged with the effectively altruistic sources of meaning, regardless of where on the continuum between intuitive and non-intuitive that those sources of meaning sit in your life and stay involved. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.